unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And what's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Ron and Scripted with yours truly, Christopher Roush, the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and of course, we are here every single week bringing you the raw and unscripted goods designed to move your perspectives, your opportunities, your confidence forward in anything that you're doing. That's the whole purpose of the show is to bring you the value, to bring you the things that make you question yourself and question the things that you're doing so that you can change some of those things that you're doing and realize that you're so much more capable and so much more deserving of the things that you have in your life right now. So that's what we bring to you on the show every single Tuesday night. Appreciate you guys being here, whether you're live or on the replay. I know we get a lot of people watching this on the replay or listening to this on the podcast. And by the way, if you are watching this, please, please subscribe to the podcast. It is available wherever podcasts are sold. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, any other place, any place that you dig getting your podcast, subscribe to the Raw and Scripted Show. I'd appreciate it. Leave us a review if you get value out of this show because that's what we're here for. We're here to bring you guys value every single week. So as always, questions and comments are welcome. So this is a show with you guys. I tell my guests, I said, it's kind of like me and my guests sitting at a bar or coffee shop. We're having a kick-ass conversation and you guys are kind of sitting at the other tables and you're like, man, what are those guys talking about? You know? And so feel free to ask us questions. Feel free to engage with us. This conversation is with you guys. And overall, we want to stimulate you again to think about things a little bit differently. There's a lot going on in the world today. And we all have an opportunity and I believe a responsibility to always leave the place better than when we got there. And I think about my son who's five years old and I think about the impact that we can all make together in this world to make it a better place. And if you watch the news, of course, you're going to see shit going on. So I recommend ditching the news because it's not really news. I, I recommend getting out in your communities. I recommend doing the things that you can do to serve yourself and serve the humanity and make it a better place and disregard that other bullshit that's going on because I find that people are more the same than we are different. We have passions. We may have differences of opinions, but ultimately we want to get to the same place in life for everybody. And I believe that and I believe especially for the younger generation. So we need to set the example, ladies and gentlemen. So appreciate you guys listening to that. we got Robert in the house. Robert is already saying good evening, Christopher. Good evening, Robert. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you brother. And just another, uh, a little bit of a uh, commercial, as you not guys know, I'm on the board of directors for Help Heal Humanity. If you guys listening, helphealhumanity.org. Go check us out. We are passionate about what we can do to help heal humanity, no matter what part of the world uh, we operate in. We operate in Canada, in Haiti, in US, and in Spain. We got another school that's going on in Cambodia. So we're interested and we're passionate about making sure that we can all collectively get together and help heal humanity. So if you feel called to donate your time, donate your resources, please give it a look, you know, because I'm a part of that board of directors because of one reason. Well, a few reasons. Serena Buffalino, the CEO and the founder of that organization is nonstop. None of, nobody takes a paycheck. All the money goes towards wherever it is that we're fighting for. So we built schools in Haiti, building schools in Cambodia. We're doing stuff here in the United States of America, making sure that we're taking care of our homeless, our homeless vets feeding our at-risk children and just doing whatever we can to, you know, educate our youth in what they can do and what the opportunities are for them to stand on their own two feet and create a life for themselves. So that's what we're a part of. And I just appreciate you guys. If you love the show, please go check it out. Donate what you can, because right now we're doing a couple of fundraisers and we would appreciate your support. So that's my ask of you. If you'd enjoy the show and you get value out of that, please do what you can, whether it's five bucks, 10 bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, a car, um, a vacation spot to an Island where I can go and relax whatever it might be. I'm just kidding. That last part. So um, appreciate you guys being here. And we're going to be getting it started here just in, the, in a few moments. Um, so this conversation, I encourage you guys to take notes, take notes, write down some things that either myself or my guest are going to be sharing with you tonight, because the goal of tonight's conversation is to impact you again, like I said before, is to say things in such a way that hopefully it inspires you to think a little bit differently. Because like I said, we have a responsibility in this world. And I've had a couple of conversations with my guests tonight, and we just dive in deep. We have respectful conversations and just to really seek first to understand, but moreover, just really use our voices and our 
our passions to help inspire you guys to think a little bit differently. So without any further ado, we welcome to the Ron and Scripted Show, Mr. Stephen Kimbrough. Stephen Kimbrough, what's up, brother? How are you doing? What's happening? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. How's your how's everything on your technical side over there? Uh, so far, so good, man. I was a little bit of a scramble. I had uh, some errands to run, but I ran over a few cats and nuns to get here, and I'm here now, so I'm happy. <laughs> well, I hope you didn't hurt the nuns. I mean, I, I hope you didn't hurt, hurt the cats. We, the no, nuns, they survived. I mean, they uh, survived. They're all right. They're all right. Look, they walked it off. They walked, they walked it off. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you, brother, because I know that you're very passionate about, you know, speaking the truth and really educating people. Um, you're a comedian, you're an actor, you're a writer, you're a producer, you're creating a documentary, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But my first question to you tonight, and just for everybody at home, we call him Kimbro. His name's Stephen Kimbro, but we call him Kimbro. So Kimbro, I just want to make sure I set that out in the, in the first place. But for the question I've been asking a lot of my guests recently is, what have you learned personally about the last two years about yourself and about the world around you? I know a lot of us have gone lockdown. We've done a lot of different things. We've had to do life differently. You know, it's, it's a pandemic. It's everything that we have never been prepared for. What has it meant for you in terms of your own personal growth and uh, your view of the world? You know, anytime you get a chance to be self-incarcerated, <laughs> it forces <laughs> you to learn a lot about yourself you didn't know. And when you get a chance to really, really slow down, when you're forced to slow down and learn yourself and study yourself and then analyze yourself, you realize you're not as cool as you thought you were. You're not as smart as you thought you were. You weren't, you're not as like hot as you thought you were. You really get a chance to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of self-evaluation, um, a lot of thinking, regrouping. You analyze the things that you thought were a serious priority. You, you analyze things that you thought were like earth shattering. And when the dust and smoke settles, you realize you know, you're barking up the wrong tree. You're swimming upstream in the wrong direction. And uh, it takes sometimes being forced to slow down and ask yourself, especially when you're facing uh, a end of the world scenario, a doomsday scenario, and you're seeing people that you really like and love and respect that are dropping like flies around you. And you go, wow. Uh, do I really have this figured out? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing here on this planet? Am I really making an impact on people? You know, am I really being the type of person that I seriously can look in the mirror at honestly, because you're forced to when you're just you and you're just alone. Like I'm single, divorced, the kids grown up. So I didn't have a pandemic buddy. I didn't have a pandemic hookup. I didn't have like a pandemic family member that we could just all hunker down together and watch Netflix, you know? Right. <laughs> I basically kind of did it on my own. I was solo. So when you are by yourself and you're isolated, you get a chance to really learn uh, what the meaning of your life is. You don't have to really learn the meaning of life. You just need to learn the meaning of your life. And to answer your question, I learned a lot. Like I, I, I came out of it with a clear understanding of who I am, why I'm here, uh, what the things that I've done in the past mean to me and other people. Um, how can I reconnect with those, with those folks that inspired me and motivated me? And, and how can I reconcile with those folks? Maybe I, I, I bulldozed over in my quest for fame and fortune. You know, so you just, it just, you, 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 you really take a harder look at what's really, really important. And then you soak in that for a minute to see what sticks. <laughs> right. <You're laughs> and stewing. then you're stewing it. Yeah, you're stewing it. And then uh, once you stew it for, uh, you know, a month or so, then you can like come out and, and draw a whole new blueprint of how you really want to be, how you really want to live, what you really want to do and how you really want to influence people and how you want, you're handpicking people you want to influence you. And you come out of that with this sense of a rebirth, like, like you, 
it's it's like you get do-overs. You get right. a whole new chance to really write the script on what you want to do and and who you want to do it with and and how you want to be. And all this stuff becomes incredibly exciting. And next thing you know, you're just like grinding away uh, at a whole new list of things that actually mean a lot more than before. And, and you prioritize these uh, real meanings of what your life is about. And uh, the next thing you know, man, you're smiling 24 seven and you have an, every day is a good day. You know, you wake up smiling all the time. You go to sleep, you know, with a smile on your face. You have great dreams. You have ambitious dreams. You have dreams you can breathe underwater and you can fly with no wings. It's just, it's it's crazy. <laughs> Once your mind and your subconscious wraps its, its, uh, its grips around, you know, your new kind of uh, outlook on life, then it really becomes exciting and it becomes fun. And uh, that's my short answer. <laughs> I love that, Kimbro. I love that. There was there was a couple of places that you gave me to really jump off on that I would love to. So I'm going to try to remember most of them. But the one I want to jump off on first is you said that your priorities changed. Talk to us about that shift in priorities. Maybe what was a priority before and now what is that priority? What does it become? Well, you know, my priority before was kind of like, okay, I need to be somebody that has a bigger name in um all of the branches of entertainment that I'm a professional in. So my priority was to try to like build my brand, build my name uh, so that I could get in the mix with that A-list and, um, and, and, and really make a difference. And what I found is in that pursuit, you kind of lose track of what's really important to you. And you lose track of, you know, relationships and you lose track of, uh, how to uh, organize yourself and self-manage and how to uh, really have a, a balanced um, ecosystem in your entire world from your finances to your health to your, your mental health and your relationships. And once you throw that um, priority away and you regroup, Instead of 100% pursuing, trying to make a brand, trying to make a name, you split that. Now, you know, it's not 100% consumption. It's more right. like maybe 20%. And then I got 20% health, 20% mental health, 20% my finances, 20%. So out of the 100% of what was prioritized, I was able to basically squeeze that down into a shorter. It's still a priority. I still have... Uh, you know, those same ambitions and I still have those same goals. It's just not as consuming as it was before. Mm, I love that. I love that. So you, you got clarity on what you're meaning, your purpose and your passion is in this life. Because for me, when I went through that transition, when I left corporate back in 2019, what we're talking about is our identity, right? You know, you think your right. identity is a construct of, of proving your validation and proving your worth and proving your significance. Oh, if I've got a bigger name or if I've got this, then I mean something Then I could prove something to those people who said I was never going to be anything. I went through that same thing. When I left corporate, it was like overnight, I was no longer that person anymore. I was like, okay, who the fuck am I? Right. And right. I sat there and I decided, and I'm like, it's not who I am. It's, it's, I mean, it's not who I get to be. It's who I am. And it's not about right. being somebody for somebody else. It's not having to fit a role anymore. It's not having to fit an identity. It's just about being Chris and being comfortable in Chris's skin. And that took me probably about three or four months of like kind of just jockeying in my brain going, okay, what is it? Because for me, I, as a coach, I want to figure it out so I can help other people come along that same path. And now as a result, I've been coaching a lot of people in their forties and fifties and sixties who are now comfortably unmiserable because they're trying to figure out who the fuck they are. And they're like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out who I am. I want to just want to be who I am. And I said, and that's my advice to people is just to be who you are and, and, and release all the outcomes and release all the results and the ego significance and just enjoy these moments. Because what the pandemic has taught me is that we don't get these moments. They're not guaranteed every single moment. And as I get older, I find myself thinking about that more and more. Talk to me about your legacy. What is what is what is it that you want people to know and and believe most about Stephen Kimbrough when your time comes? Um, just that I was a dude who was always real and uh, had the spirit to help, you know? And 
you know, everybody that I run across in anything that I've ever done, you know, I've always wanted to be that guy to kind of help them get to where they need to be, help them get a leg up. All my deals was designed to be a win-win so that you get something out of it. You win. I was able to help you with some little piece of your uh, life that got you in a better place. So uh, we're doing a documentary about my life. And uh, so I'm reconnecting with a lot of these people. And when I ask them about what their Kimbrough experiences is, they, they come up with things that I completely and totally forgot about. Nice. And, and, and it really stuck with them forever. It's like, you know, I remember the time where you, you did this for me and you did that for me, or we were doing this and it was, you were hysterical. And I went to one of your shows and, uh, you know, it went upside down and, and you were eating it, but you know, it was cool to kind of see you get up there and still be professional, even though, you know, you had the flu or, you know, things that you just forget, um, you know, people remind you that their Kimbrough experience was something that was a positive thing and that was helpful. And the more that I, I hear that in the research of connecting with uh, uh, folks from my past, then I'm starting to get a little bit of a theme going. It's like, you know, that subconscious need to want to help people actually is something that uh, is registering on me now. And uh, uh, now it's, it's more conscious. You know, it's always been somewhat conscious, but it's been so subconscious that I don't always uh, remember or recognize it as a conscious thing. So, right. you know, I I just, uh, it, you know, that's kind of my legacy is like I, I help people when I get help, uh, I pass it forward to somebody else. And, uh, you know, they may never see me again. I may never run into them. But they got love from me because I got love from somebody else. Mm, Kimbrough, I love that. I love that. We got Jason Hill in the house. Guess we know who Jason is. He says, love Jason, it. My the brother. Owl app. O-W-W-L-L. <laughs> Go check it out. The Owl app. Um, yeah, what you're talking about right now is I think about, you know, in terms of our lives. And somebody asked me this not too long ago. They said, do you think you have any bad karma in any relationships? And I said, I really don't think so. I said, I'm friends with most of my exes. I said, I wished everybody well. You know, my sister, I wished well. And, and I mean that, you know, I, I stopped talking to her in 2005. But he was asking me about this. And I was like thinking about, you know, bad karma and whatnot. And then I was thinking about empathy and forgiveness in our journey. And sometimes, sometimes when we reflect upon our journey, I'm writing my book right now about my memoir, about my mom and myself being homeless and everything. And I found as I've gotten older that there's a bigger place for empathy and forgiveness towards myself and towards other people who I thought had wronged me in the past. But what they actually did was they taught me a lesson. Have you experienced any of that in this in this kind of like reanalyzing who Stephen Kimbrough is as far as empathy and forgiveness towards yourself and towards others? And talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, that that, you know, through the decades of my life, that has definitely been something that. Uh, I have recognized where you think somebody is just doing you wrong and uh, they're not looking out for your best interest. And then later you recognize it's like, wow, they were really looking out for me. And because of that, uh, I'm a much better person. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that comes to mind, like off the top of my head is uh, one of my diving coaches. You know, I, I just thought, you know, he was just riding my jock and just busting my chops. And, uh, you know, I'm like, this dude, man, what the, what the hell's going on? But to be a diver, there's a lot of mental, there's a lot of psychological that you have to go to to be in your head to be able to be a diver and just get on that board, hit that board and, and go into that trick and just be in slow motion in your mind. And, um, you know, he was one of these dudes that, you know, had his own little tricks uh, uh, and psychological plays on how to get me to do that. And I didn't understand, like, what the hell's this got to do with diving? I just want to <laughs> get on the trampoline, do somersaults. You know, I, I played basketball. I was a jock, you know, so, you know, I was on team sports. So, like, to, to be in a sport where there's no team, it's just only you, only you on the diving board, nobody else. And... You, you know, you, you can't rely on anybody. You can't, you can't uh, point your fingers at, it's like, once you get on that board, it's just you. And the outcome of what's going to happen is 100% you. So, uh, you know, it took me a while 
years after I trained with him for it to sink in. It didn't really sink in until I became a high school coach and I'm trying to get these, you know, these young, uh, little unruly, uh, you know, uh, 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 kids to try to get in a mindset, you know, to see, feel, and, and execute a dive in a zone. And, when you're distracted by a thousand things, how do you slow a kid down and slow a kid's mind down so that they can see and feel every inch of what you're doing in slow motion in your head? Like, you know, it didn't dawn on me until I actually started coaching high school myself that, ah, this dude, <laughs> now I get that. It's good looking out, bro. Uh -huh. Planting <laughs> seeds. He was planting seeds. How I you. feel. <laughs> And, and my father was that, my grandfather was that type too. He's an older dude and he, you know, he raised two families. So he's not really down to too much hands-on. He's like an old dude. So he would give me time capsule release wisdom that I would look at him cross-eyed and be like, well, what the hell are you talking about? It makes no sense at all. And then 10, 15, tw even 20 years, even today I'll hear his voice and I'll be like, yo pops, yo. <laughs> You, you. <laughs> now I get it. Now I understand. So yeah, I've had those moments. Yes, absolutely. Wow, I love that. I mean, the the growth that we go through as we continue to get older and wiser, I believe, is pretty amazing. I mean, I would never have thought about having these types of conversations even five or ten years ago. So thank you for uh, for partaking in that with me and, and sharing that with the audience. The next thing I want to talk to you about is let's see. I have a couple of different jumping off points with you. Um, okay, let's go with this. You know, being a comedian, I think about being a comedian. I've had people tell me I should be a comedian, but I think about not that I'm scared of it anymore, but I used to have this fear about being on stage. Talk to us about a big fear of yours and how you work through that, whether it was comedy, getting on stage. Talk to us about a fear that you experienced in your life and how you got over that. And maybe some of the ways that we can help the listeners at home and listening to this uh, overcome some of their fears. Because I mean, I'm hearing that a lot. People are afraid of judgment. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of failure. They're afraid of, you know, not measuring up. They're all different fears. So what talk to us about one of yours and how we can help inspire some people at home. I have a list. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we got all the time you oh, want. Man. We got 27 more minutes. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah. Comedy is one of those things that makes you regular. Um, the butterflies that you have in your stomach turn into dragonflies and those dragonflies make you go to the bathroom before you go on stage just because you're so nervous and there's so many things to be nervous about. And you want that nervous energy. You always want it. You know, I've been in the business for 40 years and I never want to lose it. I still today, when I go on stage, I feel nervous. I feel a little bit anxious and I like that and I want that and I kind of thrive on that. But the fears that I had, um, I always was the kid that was into the limelight. So to get the attention was something that did not scare me. To get on the microphone and have my voice amplified so everyone could hear it was something that I was not afraid of. So those two things worked to my advantage in pushing through the other fears that I, I developed when I got into this business. Uh, fear number one, uh, the stuff that you write is your original stuff in your own mind from your own insecurities and vulnerabilities. And are they going to laugh at them? Because if they don't laugh, you just exposed yourself and you didn't even get a laugh from it. So imagine going, imagine soul searching to be organic and real and original and be vulnerable and humble with your most personal idiosyncrasies only to find out that nobody laughs at it. So that fear is huge. That fear is something that makes you hear your own heartbeat in your own head. You're like, <laughs> you're like, what's that noise? Oh, that's my heart. I'm that's fear. You know, you're like, <laughs> you're I, got, like I got a visual on it. Yeah. The audience is like, it's like your whole body is just like all your chemicals are firing off and you just, you know, you're freaking out. That's one fear. Um, the other fear is, how do you work through that? Uh, I how, how did you work through that? Um, well, it's, well, let me tell you some of the other fears and then I tell you how I work through all, all of it. Gotcha. I mean, let me okay, give cool. you kind of like two more. Um, gotcha. so, uh, the other fear is, am I going to remember this stuff that I wrote? 
because there's no teleprompters, there's no screen, there's no anything. You have to remember. So uh, I would write little notes in my hand and I'd be like, you know, every once in a while, I kind of take a glance at a word that would remind me of a bit I could go into. I put notes in the bottom of my cup with no water in it. I go to get a drink and I just read the bottom of the cup. That's and smart. Then, oh, I get back on track. And, uh, and I remember one time I had my cup on stage and uh, I was doing a college and the college students with the handles, they wanted to make sure that I got everything and I was comfortable. Uh, so they had flowers in my room, they had candy. I put my cup on the stage. They came and they put a, bo- a bottle of water in my cup. And I'm like, I, you know, it's like all of the, the ink dis- oh, <laughs> the ink no. dissolved on the paper. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what, what, oh where am I? What what I got to do now? I'm, now. I'm, just, I'm scrambling in my head trying to find out where I am. Um, but one, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a show that I did that, I really went through all the fears because, you know, once you become a professional comedian, another one of the, your fears is, are you going to get paid and, and are they going to book you again? So you always want to do a good job. So they pay you and then you want to do a good enough job. So they want you to come back. So you got like those fears in the mix. So this show, uh, I was doing a college tour and I got booked at St. Francis college in Joliet, Illinois. It's a all girls female Catholic school. Oh boy, and, and, you know, that's redundant. All girls female. I don't know why I had to say female because I'm already nervous telling the story. That's how nervous I was then. I'm having a nervous flashback right now. All it. girl and female is the same thing. So, <laughs> so, um, so we go to these schools. They give you a, a like blue sheet. The blue sheet is a list of everything they don't want you to do. So when I got booked. Um, I have a videotape of my set. And uh, so the students will come up and they'll look at the videotape and they will decide if it's rated enough for their school. Some schools, they want G rated. Some schools can be PG 13, some PG 17, some full adults, some straight up X. It just depends on the school and the city and the culture and the students and the staff and the dean, and deans. Uh, some schools, they don't care. They're like comedians come in and see what they want. Other schools, they got this whole list of what they, what they don't want you to do. So St. Francis college and Juliet, they gave me this sheet. Now, half the stuff on this sheet is in my set. <laughs> and, and I'm like, wait a minute. How long before you go on? I got the sheet like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to go on. Oh. So, and, and I'm doing an hour. So, so I'm looking at the stuff and I have about 90 minutes of material. Um, if you want it all clean, I, you know, I could strip that down to about 45 minutes, all clean, just clean. So if I have a show that's G-rated, um, I can kind of play with the audience for 15 minutes and then go into my 45-minute show, and then I got my hour and, and I fulfilled my, my contract. But this was like half. This, this stripped out almost like 35 minutes of my, of my set, and, and I'm going, I'm You're freaking like, do I know out show now. Tunes? Do I know show tunes? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going, what can I do? Like, you know, shadow puppets, sock puppets, like, you know, what, you know, you know, then, and then, like, what am I going to do? Do Andrew I know Dice any songs? Plays, uh, nursery rhymes. Andrew Dice Clay's like nursery shuffle. Rhymes. <laughs> so I'm like in my head trying to pull up like jokes I didn't do before that I think might work, but I haven't done those in years. So I'm trying to literally stitch together a, a show, an hour show in my head. 10 minutes before I'm supposed to go out. Now, the crowd is packed. I look outside the curtain. There must have been like 2,000 girls in an auditorium no, just dude. excited and waiting for the show. You could hear the buzz and the murmur. No, and opener, the no opener, just you? No opener, just me. And I'm going, uh, man, it's like the energy is there, but I'm like handcuffed with the materials. Like, what am I going to do? Because I had all this stuff I was going to do that was a little bit edgy, but I thought was okay. But on that sheet, it was like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Ooh, I'll go bigger. So, so I'm behind the curtain, and the, the clock feels like it's just grinding, like the seconds, the, the minutes are just flying because I'm trying to come up with something. I look out in the audience again and I can see that they're just, this is going to be one of those shows that, you know, 
if I could be able to do what I wanted to do, I would kill. But now, now that my hands are tied, I, I, I hope I can get through this. So, mm. um, so the the nun comes out on the stage. Now I'm behind the curtain. <laughs> the curtain's closed. Is that the joke? No, no this is for real. <laughs> the nun it comes out on the stage. The, the nun comes out on the stage, but don't. And <laughs> nun walks into a bar. <laughs> so I am, um, so I'm behind stage and I'm just, I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do. Wow. So now I'm just thinking in my head, I'm thinking I'm going to go out there, freeze up, not know what to say and just walk off the stage. Be like, you can have the check. Cause I, you know, I, I, this is you really, you were really thinking that you were really believing. I was, I was thinking, yes, I'm going to have to just bail on this because I would rather bail on it than to eat it and have that circulate through the college. Cause don't forget I'm on a college tour and each college gives a review of how your show was. And if you don't show up, you get the don't show up, but it's not like if you eat it, when you eat it, then the other colleges, they like, they're a little bit leery about booking you. But if you don't show, it could be anything. Could be sickness, could be flu, could be, an emergency could be like whatever, whatever. So, I mean, I could be like, oh, my stomach, you know, I got the flu, so I had to like bail or whatever. I could be sick. I could right. call in sick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the murmur of the crowd like starts to, to come down because you know the nun is like, okay, girls, we're about to start the show. It's like, girls, you know, it was like that time. And then all of a sudden they went from like murmuring to complete silence. You could hear a pin drop. <laughs> so none goes through like the school announcements and we got to this and we got to that and all the stuff. And, and, and it's only her talking and the sound is beautiful in this auditorium. I mean, they had a beautiful sound because they've given sermons and they're doing lectures. So the sound system in there was great. The seats were raped. It was a beautiful, beautiful theater. And so, and then she goes, okay, now for your comedy entertainment, ladies and gentlemen, or ladies, put your hands together for Stephen Kimbrough. And they just clapped and they roared and they screamed. It was like a rock star concert kind of welcome. So, so you're farting your way to the stage. So I'm I'm feeling this juxtaposition of, uh, man, this is really cool. Welcome. But yet I feel like I want to shit my pants. Right. Like, I'm with you. So I feel I, you. <laughs> so the curtains open up. And what wasn't there was a row of nuns in the front row. And it didn't dawn on me that why are the front row is empty? Oh, like you no. got 2,000 people in the auditorium. You know, why don't they put the front people in the front row? And when they opened the curtain, there literally was a gauntlet wall of nuns, oh. about 30 nuns sitting in the front row, and the girls were behind them. Uh -oh. And I was like, now I'm really freaking out. And they're mm -hmm. all like this. Just do, looking mister? at me. Like, if you, you say one thing... You are like a dead man on the cross. I was just going, oh, my God. I walk out there. It's dead silence. I look at the crowd. I take a big breath, and I go, you know, I've been on tour with these colleges. And I was a little nervous coming here. I got to be honest. And I, I got butterflies in my stomach right now. I am like, this is the most nervous I've ever been at any show ever. But since I got my sisters in the front row, I feel right at home. <laughs> and the nuns broke out laughing. <laughs> and the girls screamed with laughter. And the nuns were all laughing. And then when I got the nuns laughing, then I just basically went into each of the nuns and talked about what a course they, they taught. And then I did a little improv joke on that course. And then I had the, you know, the reinforcement of the girls and then they would scream and laugh and cheer. And that became my set. My set became like finding out what the nuns teach, make a little joke about it and then go into the audience to be like, hey, are you guys learning anything from this class? And I'd make a little joke on that. And go. it was one of those things where 
I salvaged a near death situation, a near bail situation because I was heads up enough and my brain was like just searching for anything to open with. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm black. The nuns are sisters in black habits. Mm -hmm. If I referred to them as like sisters from the hood, that's going to be funny. And it, and it worked. So uh, to answer your question, um, sometimes you have to just go through a rapid fire warp speed, um, um, just search of your index of jokes and one liners and improvisational things. And, and you're just assessing the, the situation as fast as you can. And you're just trying to find something that you can make fun of to break the ice to get that first laugh. And that's one of my tricks is just to scan and observe. And the more experience you have with the shows, the more index cards of things you can pull from that you've used in the past that work. There's a lot of one-liners. There's a lot of uh, comeback jokes, uh, uh, um, like dead joke comebacks that you can do. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can just, uh, you know, just go through that Rolodex as fast as you can. Grab it, say it, get the laugh. Once you get that first laugh, you can relax. And because I now had like a new way to go, I now could relax. And because yeah. I needed to fill an hour, I had a lot of air between what I was saying. I slowed down. I let all of the laughter trickle to like silence. And I, I burned a lot of minutes in between the laughs and the punchlines and the tags because I'm like, I'm trying to kill time. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking on your so, feet. You're being resourceful, man. I mean, not the, that's, yeah. the crux, that's the crux of what I get out of your situation. I had to do the same thing when I was recently in Chicago for a speaking event. They said, oh, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. We get there. There was no way that was going to work. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm already here. You know, they paid me. They're, I'm doing this thing, but I got to do something else. And I was like, okay, what am I good at? I'm good at getting interviewing people. So let's get, let's get the speakers from the stage. We're going to interview them. It's going to be a special treat for the people at home on the pay-per-view, blah, blah, blah. Went down and told the guy, I says, this is what we're going to do. He's like, okay, go do it. And I did it, set up the chairs, set up the cameras, the lighting, boom, went into it. And the speakers had a blast. The people at home thought about it was great. And what they were going to have me to do is like, this is way better. So, I mean, we got to be able to think on our feet. We got to be able to have a trust sure. our instincts and our, and our intuition. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, you got to jump. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to jump. Yeah. So, because you're a comedian and because we, we don't have all the hours in the world, I want to ask you this question. We kind of danced around it in different, different conversations. I've been on your show, the state of comedy right now, the state of cancel culture, the state of, we just saw what happened to Dave Chappelle. Of course, we know the slap around the world. We know different things that are happening in your opinion, as a comedian, I know you're doing your documentary. Is there a line? Is there a line that we cannot any longer cross in comedy or do we need to just get people to realize that it's fucking comedy and not to take it so seriously? What are your thoughts on that, man? Um, the lines that are made are determined on the situation uh, that is presented in each specific show. So comedy and freedom of speech in general, there is no line. There is no line. We are Americans. We have freedom of speech. We should be able to exercise that with uh, no consequence of being hurt or, or being slapped or being tackled or stabbed or shot. We should be able to say what we want to say uh, to get what we want, whether it's artistic expression or whether it's your political belief or whether you just want to do dad jokes out of your ass and you should be able to say it. The problem is we don't have a society that is sophisticated enough, evolved enough, and has enough critical thinking to understand that these are jokes. This is entertainment. This is to get you to laugh. Court gestures is the last defense of truth in any society. And you go back to the dark ages, the court gesture was the one who told truth about the royal family, who told truth about um, things that were in their villages, uh, different personalities. And depending on who was uh, in, in charge, if they didn't like that, they killed that guy and, and <laughs> they could do it. <laughs> so uh, 
So, you know, there is a line depending on the situation and the people who put the situation together, put the lines there, but they, that's because they have sponsors or they have a, a community they want to adhere to, or that community is supporting them. And they have, um, you know, a guideline of what they want to hear and what they won't, don't want to hear. And if, if, if anything happens or said outside that guideline, then they're going to have their cancel culture fingers ready to go. So, uh, so they put the lines. So we as human beings and networks and churches and groups and banks and races, we put the lines out there and those lines could be anywhere. And if comedians cross them, then they cross their line. But these are human manufactured lines that are put there in a society where we're supposed to have freedom of speech and there should be no lines. So, so yes, um, we do cross the line as comedians. But at the same time, we shouldn't have to have a line there in the first place. But we understand. <laughs> we understand it's your money. It's your group. These are, you know, your church moms. And they have their hypocritical, self-righteous uh, way of seeing things. And they're going to take offense to any subject matter that has to deal with this. So we get that. We're professional and we're like, okay, you draw the line. You're paying us. We'll be professional to stay within this line. And uh, if we do, then you can pay us. And then we move on to the next show where there are no lines and we can be as free as we want. And those are the shows we love because we can be free. And cancel culture is getting out of style. Cancel culture is cool only to that niche of people who think it's cool. And just because a handful of them happen to be gatekeepers in the industry or happen to be, you know, in an influential spot on a network or at a movie studio or whatever, it doesn't mean that they rule all and run all, you know, this is a trend and that trend is getting old and tired. And when you go to a comedy club Uh, there's a whole new anti-cancel culture of material that's out there and the audience is loving it. And anybody who is cancel culture that in that show feels like an idiot because (laughs) the jokes are so um, exaggerated to the ridiculous on how ridiculous it is to be part of cancel culture to where you sit in that audience and you don't want people to know that you participated in canceling somebody's livelihood because it's ridiculous. So there is a movement uh, and cancel culture is there. Um, People are, you know, bum rushing the stage because it's a, you know, it's a copycat. What happened to Dave Chappelle was definitely inspired by what happened uh, with Chris Rock. And, uh, you know, you already know my take on that. And I'm just, I'm just saying you know, is your, is, well, let us know what your take is on it now, because now there's been some time that's passed. We've heard different conversations. Has your opinion changed at all from what we originally talked no, about? No, my opinion is still the same. I still stand by the fact that uh, the joke was a throwaway joke that was a, a funny, positive spin on uh, female struggle. So the, the reference of the joke was um, Hallie, um, not Hallie, but um, uh, Jada Pinkett. Uh, mm-hmm. with her bald head he didn't know that she had alopecia all he knows is the movie um uh gi jane, GI jane uh, yeah. demi moore she had she had to shave her head for the military to become a navy seal officer so um to me she was compared to a character who was a female that had her head shaved against all odds against men in the military and she won and badass, she, yeah. She was badass. So, number one, to have a joke where you're compared to a character and that character is a negative character, I can see where you might be like, ah, that's, that's that's you know what? You, you're you making me look bad because that character is not seen in a good light. But yeah. if you do it, like, you <laughs> yeah, you're compared to a positive character. Now, 
the joke has a, a positive punchline, positive spin, you can't take offense to that because you just were compared to another woman who was in a situation that had to overcome um, men in the military who did not want her to be there. And she's the only one there. And she triumphed. So for me, the joke itself was a positive joke for for women who triumphed in a in a male misogynist dominated environment and won. So that's number one. If you analyze the joke to me, mm-hmm. that's why I feel that joke was an offensive joke because <clears throat> it wasn't a joke about women having alopecia and looking like a bowling ball and he just <laughs> left it there. Right. It wasn't. <clears throat> that would have been taken as negative and it had that has more of a negative spin on it so i can see but even if he said that he's up there presenting an award on the number one award presentation on the planet <coughs> see, I, I was forgot to get my water <laughs> getting y'all choked up here here you go yeah thanks you're just in la you're, <laughs> so, you're only like you know six hours away yeah no i actually so, to drive. <clears throat> so um so you you have the largest platform on the planet, and <clears throat> there are no jokes on that show that aren't approved by the Oscars. So that now. they police that show and the content of that show like to the letter. So to have nobody be on that stage to be ready to be like, wait a minute. Will's walking to the stage. That's not in the script. <clears throat> Somebody needs to meet him at the stage and be like, what are you doing? We're doing a live TV professional show with the highest honor of your peers. So what are you doing? And you meet right. Will Smith and you just like you walk him back to his seat. You mm-hmm. know, number one. Number two, that didn't happen. So he slapped him. In my opinion, the Oscars should have immediately immediately shut that down a stage manager with the madonna headset and the clipboard should have came out and said sorry folks this is not part of our show this is not what we do we didn't script this we didn't approve this we're going to go to a commercial when we come back we're going to presume our regularly scheduled program and they come back and will and jada are not sitting there they're out they're out and when it comes to the award he was definitely going to win. He definitely got the votes. It's already in. You have an Oscar representative come out and say, we will accept this award on behalf of Will Smith. And uh, uh, um, thank you very much. And then they go and they decide what they're going to do. If they're going to suspend him, take back the award, do whatever they need to do. But the integrity of the show needs to have the people running the show execute of things that keep the integrity of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the Nobel Peace Prize, if Gandhi and Mother Teresa was the same thing and Mother Teresa came up and smacked Gandhi, they'd be like, <laughs> you know, the Nobel Peace Prize be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The word peace is in the uh, prize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys doing? This is what this is a nonviolent thing. This is like the Nobel Peace prize award you can't be coming up here smacking people so we're gonna take your we're gonna take you both you know you're going home you're going home they're like you're no longer eligible for uh any peace prize because you right. just can't walk on stage and smack people so um you know i want to close with the fact that i thought chris was the ultimate professional yeah, and he did he showed basically what we go through on a daily basis i've had people come to um, up on my stage that at least four times really in my career oh dude yeah. what was that like yeah. i mean you just did you duck them? uh yeah yeah you know i just I pushed them back into the audience a couple of people i didn't have to do anything i just just basically just roasted them and i gave them a chance to like defend themselves in the roast and then they looked so bad they just went back and and grabbed their stuff and just walked out and the crowd cheered uh, a couple of times I had a, I had some Navy sailors from uh, in, the, in Bermuda when I was doing a Bermuda comedy club came on. I, I kicked one down and I hit the other one with the microphone in the head and it looked like slapstick comedy. <laughs> People thought it was part of the show. 
<laughs> they thought it was like a Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin film. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and then security guards had to walk those guys out. But yeah, it happens. You know, you're heckled. Uh, you got disruptive audiences. You got drunk bachelorette parties. You got, uh, you know, angry drunk guys. <clears throat> you got, you know, just all kinds of people that are in the audience who feel entitled to disrupt the show, heckle you, you know, try to come up, grab the mic. And it's, that's, that's just part of the business that, that happens. Jeez. That is crazy. You're not, you're not selling me on it, man. You're not selling me on it, Kimbrough. Um, we've already been talking for 50 minutes, man. We could easily talk for hours and hours and hours. And I look forward to doing that with you one day. What message, because I know you're so passionate about this. What message do you have for the youth of America, you know, if, if the youth of America are watching this and sometimes we actually have youth and I say youth, you know, teenagers in their 20s, you know, what would you say to the youth of America right now and what they can do to help end the divisiveness and the rhetoric and start to break, start to create bridges and, and, and build those bridges between people that they perhaps may disagree with? What advice would you have for our youth of America? I would say slow down and listen to wise people and like really seek wisdom and listen and slow down because in that you're going to find empathy for other people you're going to find how you can share yourself you're going to find the biggest reward that you can give yourself and humanity in this universe and this planet is how you can help and give to people and the more you can do that the better everything is going to be because it automatically by osmosis forces bridges to be built, forces bond, bonding. Uh, it forces you to kind a relationship with people who are, uh, who check other boxes than you. And you understand uh, in that, that gathering of wisdom, how to agree to disagree but at the same time, you also learn how to, in disagreement, to agree on something. So we need to have more people learn how to be in disagreement, but let's agree on something. Yes. If we can have a rule well, where if you allow me to disagree on uh, whatever you have to say, if I want to do it for fun or if I want to do it because that's where I'm really coming from, if you can allow me to do that, then let's at the same time allow each other to agree on something and not the disagreement. Okay, so we can agree to disagree, but let's agree to agree on something. So that means we don't leave each other until we find something that we agree upon and then, then we can leave. Yeah, because oh, because we can have a thousand disagreements and we've already set the rules. We can agree to disagree. You cool with that? Cool, cool, pound, pound. Okay, I disagree with that. Disagree with that. Disagree with that. It's been 12 hours. We haven't agreed on nothing. <laughs> disagree with that. Disagree with that. Okay, so what is it that we do agree on? Okay, this. Okay, now we can leave. And if more people had that as a rule in their perspective in their life and their point of view and their uh, disposition and their perspective and their outlook, then what's going to happen is people are going to find more things to agree with. And they're going to look at some of those things that they disagree with. And they're going to be like, which one of these things can I sacrifice to agree with? Because I want to, I want to agree with something. Right. And then the more you agree on something, there's a feel good on that walk away. Now yes. you're going to come back and you're going to find, you're going to be proactive and searching for more things that you actually can agree upon. And you're going to start modifying your position on some things so that you can agree with them. And guess what's going to happen on the other side? The same thing. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, instead of all these things that you disagree with, they slowly start to drop out. And the next thing you know, you're in agreement on half the stuff. Once you're in agreement on half the stuff, we're on a road trip. We can we can we we can go, we can be in a car together across the country for for thousands of miles. Cuz we got something to talk about, something that we agree upon. We're we're kindling we're kindling our spirits. 
we're exchanging socks. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's what I love about you, Kimbro. Keep doing that, man, because we need to have more conversations like that. I've been talking to people, you know, uh, and I'm going to invite you to, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if you have something going on tomorrow night. I think you do, but I'm going to do a men's, I, mean, I do my men's room uh, in clubhouse and, and you and I have been on clubhouse. I'm going to do my men's room tomorrow night on the recent leak about Ruby Wade from a men's standpoint. So I'd love to have you that conversation uh, yeah. tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So I'm like, okay, let's go, let's go into this, let's go deep into this, um, because that's something that's that I know is on top of mind for you as well as me. So we could we can't do it in this particular show, but we could definitely do it in Clubhouse. And I just so appreciate your honesty, your transparency, your humor. Definitely bringing your humor. And just being an all-around great guy. I mean, I've got a chance to know you and just really appreciate you. We're both here in Southern California. Um, so I appreciate you being here on the show. Definitely want to have you back and explore more topics and conversations because I love how you bring the like-minded, you know, opportunity that we can see from our differences, how we can grow together and how we can find commonality and instead of the divisiveness and the bullshit and the rhetoric that's going on and whatever news media we want to choose to follow. So thank you, brother, for being here for that. And where can people get thank a hold you. of you to continue the conversation with you? Uh, you can catch me at podbrother.com for my comedy. You can catch me at Pod Brother Nation for my podcast. Uh, my drive-in film festival is on Film Freeway. That's uh, July 17th. If you have a short film or a podcast or a music video you want to enter, go to filmfreeway.com on that. And I'm in a movie on Amazon called Introducing Jodea. I play a... Uh, first AD, and uh, I got a lot of attitude in that film. So I'm on Amazon. I got a film festival on Film Freeway, and uh, you can see my comedy on uh, potbrother.com. And also my podcast and my live comedy is going to be at The Comedy Chateau in North Hollywood. And uh, if you want to go to the website to see me there, it's thecomedychateau.com. And... I'm also on the Owl app, and uh, my podcast, which I did with you, is the podowl.com. So I got a couple things going on, and I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you very much. And last thing but not least is uh, I have a comedy workshop on May 21st, and uh, if you go to podbrothernation.com or podbrothernation.club, you can find out more how you can uh, – uh, be as funny as I am because I teach the class. It's a it's a one day eight hour comedy workshop, and uh, you can find it on on podbrothernation.club. Thanks, Ooh. Chris. I'm going to have to check that out myself and see if I've got a bunch of stuff coming up in the next six weeks, but I would definitely love to be there with you in that opportunity. So uh, I'm going to place you backstage here for a second and I'll close out the show, but don't go anywhere, okay? All right, thank you. Cool, cool. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Kimbrough, comedian, actor, director, humanitarian, trying to spread the opportunities for all of us and what we could do in our own lives. And that's what I want for you guys in this conversation. Thank you guys so much for, for sticking with us. Uh, I just want to capture some of the comments here. I didn't get a chance to do this because uh, um, uh, what Stephen was saying was just absolutely brilliant. Um, we got Jeff in the house, Jeff Franklin. He says, what up, ref? I'm guessing that's a that's a that's a that's a uh, 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 something a term of endearment for uh, Stephen, and Andrew's in the house. He says no fun in comedy anymore. Should be, but not unfortunate. But is unfortunate, not unfortunate. Um, got Robert in the house. Thank you for being here, Robert. Uh, Mary Kay is in the house. Thank you, Mary Kay, for being here. I got Jason Hill in the house. He says two rock stars. Check it out. The Owl app. You guys got to check it out. Uh, we got Maria in the house. She says I preach. Yes, Maria, thank you for being here. And um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, totally agree. Positive spin to people who show off to be cut up. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for just being here. And and what I want to ask you guys to do is to take this opportunity. If you've got value out of the show, um, share this and share this out because, you know, the point of this is to, is to help enlighten all of us to have these conversations, to sit there and think about our past, present, and our future differently so that we can actually have different outcomes. And I love what Kimbro said, you know, the fact that he took these last two years and got to know himself better and got to reprioritize some of the things in his life and realize that it's not about the egocentric stuff that we're always going for. It's really about the moments and the impact that we can have so that when we're gone, our legacy will live on. We're not going to live on, we're not going to live forever, but the legacy that that we leave can live on. So I, I inspire each and every one of you guys to think about your legacy. And if you haven't done it yet, you guys know I talk about it, write your eulogy. 
I'm your no excuses coach. Go out there, write your eulogy. Because when I did it back in 2008, I walked away knowing that Christopher Roush will have fought for what was right and what was fair. And Christopher Roush will have risked for which that mattered. And he will have left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. Those words fire me up every single day when I wake up. I set the intention to fulfill that legacy. I go to bed at night and I say my thank yous to God, source, universe for the fact that I did exactly what I intended on doing. And every single day it builds upon it. And that's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for you guys. Don't wake up tomorrow in scarcity and lack and fear. Wake up tomorrow in opportunity and advancement and growth and think about what can I do from this? What am I making this to mean about me? You know, is this moving me closer to or further from my stated goals? You guys ask the right questions and you get the right answers and you will continue to be kick-ass unstoppable. We'll see you guys here next Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, live with myself or with a guest designed here to be raw and scripted with you guys. I love you guys. Go out there and be kick-ass and classy. We'll see you.